Palm Sunday 2019. As we look at a passage in John 12 today regarding Palm Sunday, I was, I was thinking this week, Lord, Lord how, how do we connect this? What, you know, I get concerned sometimes when we enter Holy Week and we have Palm Sunday, then we have Good Friday service, and then we have Easter, that the tradition of it, the, the, you know, the familiarity of it all, sometimes I think it, we just lose it. Sometimes I think, oh, yeah, oh, it's Palm Sunday. Oh, yeah, it's Good Friday at the Bowl. Oh, yeah, it, it, it's another Easter. Oh, yeah, there's an egg hunt. And, and we just kind of, in the church, get kind of, maybe just really kind of blob out the whole thing. And, and I was thinking, oh, Lord, how, what's the connection? What, what's going on in 2019 that, that can link us all the way back to Jesus' triumphal entry, that first Palm Sunday? And, and, and I came across this word that I think really, really links us. And, and this word is called triumphalism. The word triumph, and you add alism, right? So triumphalism. That, that really is kind of prevalent even in the church. And what does is, what is the, the writer, the, the guy I was reading, mean by triumphalism? It's this sort of expectation, this sort of like belief that Jesus is supposed to do for us right now what the Bible says and promises that he's going to do in Revelation. You see, in Revelation 19, Jesus is seen on a white horse coming in victory. Amen? Second coming. In fact, in Revelation 19, 16, he's wearing something that says, King of kings and Lord of lords. So in Revelation 19, we know there's a promise. We read the end of the book. Amen? We've seen how it all ends, that he is going to triumph. And when he comes back, he's going to make it all right. Amen? It's it's going to be just as it's supposed to be. Triumph, the ultimate triumph. Triumphalism kind of says, hey, isn't he supposed to do that right now? Or you can flip and say, well, why isn't he doing it right now? And I think about that in light of our culture right now, in our country, political, social and then you branch out to the world, and there's this sense of triumphalism. Hey, how come he's not doing it right now? How come he's not doing right now? Well, because he promised he'll do it in Revelation 19. But if we don't understand that, or better yet, if we are conflicted with that, you'll understand what's happened in John 12 and why the people were conflicted and confused when Jesus first entered. Because even back then, on the very first Palm Sunday, there was a sense of triumphalism. That's what they were expecting. And when they didn't get the triumphalism, and Jesus didn't meet their expectations, how many of them walked away? And that's what makes this message very, very relevant for you and me today. Because what do you do when Jesus doesn't meet your expectations? What if you've been coming to church for years and years and years with this sort of attitude, belief, conviction that, well, he's supposed to make it right right now. Why aren't you making it right right now? 
I thought you were supposed to be this. What do you mean? Not now. See, if you, if you have this sense, this, mis, this really false belief, this misperception of who Jesus is now, your unmet expectations, your disappointment will fundamentally impact whether or not you even want to walk with him anymore. In 30 years of ministry, I have heard people say this, I tried Jesus. I tried Jesus or I tried the church or I tried Christianity. And I, I, think about that. I tried Jesus. What's behind I tried Jesus slash the church slash Christianity? What can be behind I tried? Well, I invested some time and energy and effort with the expectation that I was getting something back. I tried And my life got worse. I tried and nothing changed. Do you see this idea that kind of this undercurrent of triumphalism, this idea of of I had this expectation because and this is this is this is this where you have to be very careful, because how many of you have seen Jesus do supernatural, miraculous works in your life? Transformation. Just transformation. You're a different person, right? And so you go out there and you're sharing your testimony and someone hears it. Hey, you got to come. You know, God's doing great works. This is what he did in my life. And it's all true and you celebrate it. But if they don't get first things first, they can show up expecting God to do something for them. They put the cart before the horse. They don't want relationship. They want results. And when you don't get the results, then you politely stop coming and then if we see with Vons or someone you say hey what happened I tried I tried Jesus I didn't get the results I wanted so they go try something else there's a lot of people especially in Ojai trying a lot of things that's what Ojai is known for in the spiritual community broad spiritual community come Ojai is a great place to try try it right What's behind all that? Sort of this results-driven triumphalism. Well, he's supposed to do it now. Well, the truth is, Revelation 19 says it's in the future. So what about now? How do we make sense of this? That's what's going on on the first Palm Sunday for many, many people. This was the Feast of Passover. They say that the typical population in Jerusalem was like 25,000 to 50,000. At Passover, Jews from all over the world would come, and some say the population would swell to 250,000, upwards of over a million. Would just come flooding in to celebrate Passover, which was celebrating, commemorating their deliverance from Egypt, right? Slavery in Egypt. And into this Passover celebration, Jews are flooding in, comes Palm Sunday, or the triumphal entry. So a little context before we read John 12. In John 11, Jesus does this incredible miracle. He raises Lazarus from the dead. Right? John 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and he does it in a town called Bethany. Bethany was about two miles east of Jerusalem. Okay? 
So he does this incredible miracle. Then people go, hey, is he going to go to Passover? Is he going to Jerusalem, right? The religious people get mad. The leaders get mad say, hey, if he shows up, we're going to arrest him, right? In John 12, at the beginning of John 12, Jesus comes back to Bethany about six days before the Passover. A whole lot of people find out. Hey, 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 Jesus is in Bethany. Come on, come on. It's only two miles away. John 12, 9 through 11 says that the large crowd of Jews head to Bethany. They want to see Jesus and they want to see the guy he raised up from the dead, Lazarus. Hey, come check it out. Jesus is there with Lazarus. Let's go see. Let's go see. Right? Let's go talk to him. Let's go talk to him. The chief priests now don't just want to arrest Jesus. They want to kill him and Lazarus. Okay, so the climate gets more intense, more hostile. Why? Because it says that on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Okay, so Jesus is in Bethany about six days before the Passover. Large crowd has already gone out to see him, him and Lazarus, right? So in John 12, this is where we'll pick up. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees. And went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Right. Palm Sunday is included in all four Gospels. And it's amazing when you read each of the Gospels because each, each Gospel writer puts their own specific kind of nuance, their own perspective, what they heard, what they saw, to the entry. So John in his Gospel, if you're reading it, he kind of really centers on the connection between this crowd that has seen Jesus and Lazarus, has heard about this incredible miracle, resurrection miracle, this crowd and their response and their reaction to Jesus coming in, Right? It says in verse 13, they took branches of palm trees, right? Palm branches. In Gospel of John, that's the only gospel that mentions palm. That's where you get Palm Sunday, Gospel of John, John 12, 13. Palm branches in that culture were symbols of triumph and victory. Jewish nationalism, right? That's what palm branches signified. And then it said, they said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? What was that? that? They were quoting Psalm 118, verse 25 and 26, which intentionally you read this morning. You read what they were saying. And that word, Hosanna, Hosanna, it means save or save now, right? It, there was two aspects, and we've shared this before. One was a cry for help. Hey, save. The other one was praise. Hey, I've been saved. Salvation. I, I shared before... A few years ago, I was uh, junior high. I used to go out boogie boarding a ton in San Diego. Got pulled out by a rip, rip current. Way out past the waves. Lifeguard tower was little dot over there, right? And I'm doing this. So because I'm petrified, I'm like, 
Hosanna! Like, save! Hosanna! Right? And then I see the little the lifeguard come out, and he's running. He jumps in the water, and he comes swimming at me. He gets to me. Hosanna! I'm saved. Salvation has come. Do you get it? Do you see the difference, right? One is a plea, and one is a celebration. That's what Hosanna. Both nuances are in that. That's what it had become. It started as a plea for help. Then it became a, a, a praise that salvation has come, right? So Jesus is entering, and they're saying, Hosanna! Hosanna, salvation has come. Hey, by the way, can you save us from these Romans? Can you save us from these Romans? Because the Jews were oppressed by Rome, occupied by Rome. And Passover, having been commemorating deliverance from Egypt, right? Every year when they celebrated Passover, there was this sense of Jewish nationalism that maybe this is the year. Maybe this is the year we're delivered from Rome, right? And so this guy, Jesus, what did he just do a, couple, a little while ago? Raise a guy from the dead. So this crowd's excited. Hey, that guy, Jesus, he raised a guy from the dead two miles from here. Rome is done. So they're excited. Right? This guy with supernatural God power is coming into Jerusalem. They're like lit. Hosanna! Because they're thinking the political, military, economic Messiah has arrived. Who wouldn't scream and shout? He just raised a guy from the dead. We're about to be delivered from Rome, right? It says blessed, right? That, that phrase blessed. It's he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? We looked at that word blessed last week, eulageo, where we get the word eulogy. It means to speak well of, to praise. So when they say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they're praising Jesus. Here's the problem. They were kind of wrong in their reason for praising him. Isn't that kind of crazy? We read that blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But they thought political, military, economic. Their praise was actually off. They weren't praising accurately. And I wonder for us today if we have real clarity about why we should be praising Jesus. Why should we be praising God today? Is it because we expect him to do something for us? Is our praise dependent linked foundationally to this sense of, well, I'll praise him because he's about to deliver me. But what if he doesn't? Is he still worthy of praise? Are you still going to say, bless the Lord, oh my soul? Right? Are we still going to bless him? Are we still going to cry out in the morning and say, bless you, Lord, even though he didn't triumph over that issue you thought he should have fixed? That's what makes this so real. That's what makes us really just like this group. The reality of it. What's going on? These lofty expectations. These beautiful expectations of freedom from oppression. Not being accurate in terms of who this guy was coming through. Right? Unmet expectations. What does that do to you? What does that do to me in our following of Jesus?
right? He comes in on a donkey, right? Fulfillment of a prophecy in Zechariah, 450 to 500 years before in Zechariah 9.9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So anyone who knew Zechariah would be like, donkey, dude, king, right? They're, they're really excited. But again, their excitement is misguided. It's, it's, it's off. And how, what's the big tell, right? What's interesting, Ali put up a Psalm 118. It says, save us, we pray, O Lord. Oh, Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Right? That's Psalm 118, 25 to 26. Listen in John 12, 13. They say this. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Then they add something that's not in the Bible. Even the king of Israel. Even the king of Israel. You see, that's the tell. That gives them away. This crowd fully believes, fully expects this guy to be the military political king. Even the king of Israel, the king of Israel is here, right? In Mark eleven eight, it says, Many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut on the fields. So throwing the garments, very you know, common picture you see with Palm Sunday. What is that? When you throw garments on the... On the it's, it's reverence. It's submission. I lay myself down king that's what that was symbolizing mark 21 10 says and when he had entered jerusalem the whole city was stirred up that word stirred is is related to an earthquake it was shaken a quake imagine 250,000 to a million plus people all at once going cray cray jesus the supernatural dude who raised lazarus from the dead is here and he's king and we're about to be delivered from Rome. The whole city shook. They were lit. They were excited. They're like, yeah, right? It's stirred. It was shaken, right? And then it says, look at uh, Matthew 21:10. In the midst of all of this, and when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, by the way, who is this? It's kind of like this group mentality, like everyone gets excited. Like the Dodger game, right? Imagine you go to a Dodger game. You never, you don't even know baseball. Something good happens. 50,000 people go crazy. And just because they're going crazy, you feel like you have to stand and go crazy too. Ah! Hey, hey, Randy, what just happened, man? He hit a home run. Oh, home run. Ah! Is that good? That's good, right? Right? So for some people, the, the, the whole city is stirred. And December, you're like, who is this? Why, why we go? What's all this about, Right? And in Matthew, it would say he's a prophet. But in John, they're going crazy because they believe the king of Israel, the deliverer, the military, political, economic ruler is here. It's time to triumph. Right? He's going to make it all right. And I think about that in light of us today. In our heart for Jesus, our expectations, even the reason we praise, even the reason we worship. How, how much is that tied to our expectations that he's going to make it right right now? Now, the last couple of weeks, we talked about who we are positionally, that we are more than conquerors. Amen? 
that we are complete, loved, accepted, pleasing. Most of this, understand what we've been talking about the last several weeks. Positionally, we're talking about how God sees you and what's true about you and your identity in Christ today. Amen? But what did Jesus say? In this world, you will have tribulation. So you got to understand, when, you're, when you talk about being victorious in Christ, having every spiritual blessing, every spiritual need, being the temple of the Holy Spirit, it means that you can walk in victory despite the circumstances. You can walk in victory, you can have joy, makarios, in the midst of terrible trying circumstances. Your triumph now is in who you are in Christ and the resources you have. Revelation, when he comes back, and completely triumphs, then we're delivered from the presence of sin. Amen? That's the complete triumph. But until then, you can still have victory based on who you are in Christ. I came across this quote. I couldn't find the author, but Eileen uh, will put it up. It says, Most Christians today do not want the real Jesus, who saves them from their sins and from the domination of Satan and the world and who delivers them from death and grants them eternal life. Jesus is merely their penultimate desire. He is the one they hope will grant them their ultimate desires of health, wealth, and power in this world. Now that word, leave it up, Eileen. That word there on the fourth line from the other, penultimate, it sounds like, like, if you don't know what that word means, just the sounding of it sounds like the last, like the greatest ultimate, like, Right? But it says there, Jesus is merely their penultimate desire. He is the one that will grant them their ultimate desires. Okay, so what's a penultimate desire, right? The definition of penultimate is actually second to last or next to last. So what this means is we tend to use Jesus to get what we want. He's our penultimate step. So here's, here's an example. If you've run track or you're familiar with track, you guys know long jump, right? Long jump, they run, and they got to hit this board, not cross the board. Many people don't know that when I'm running, my second to last step is called the penultimate step. The penultimate step is the step that's done differently. I'm running, gaining full speed. Penultimate step, I dip a little bit, and I then it sets me up for the last step. So a lot of people look like this. I'm running, 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 running. Jesus, take care of my needs. Boo! See, Jesus is the penultimate step. Some of us look at Jesus as, well, Jesus, I get what I want. He's your penultimate. He's the second to last. He's not the ultimate desire. He's kind of your... Your source to get your ultimate desire. You got to be real careful with that. Back in the 90s, multi-level marketing came into the church big time. And I remember it in San Diego. I remember one day I was at this large church in San Diego. And I was new at the church, me and my family. After church, this guy comes up. Super friendly, right? Hey, how you doing? You're new here. Da, 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 da. I'm thinking this guy's a friendly church, right? At the very end of the conversation, pulls out a business card. Hey, by the way, I want to invite you to this. The whole conversation 
was to get me to come to his next little multi-level marketing spiel. He didn't want to know me. You see what I'm saying? So what happened was he was coming, and the church was his penultimate. Hey, how you doing? Business card, business card, business card, so my business can keep going. He was using the church. Using the church. Right? He was making his contacts. Now, I'm not, I'm not throwing, you know, shade on this whole thing, but man, I, I had people, I had friends, people I really cared about who got wrapped up into this. And the thing that bothered me the most, and I was still a young Christian, but even then I got this weird sense, and I'm like, I remember saying to somebody after sitting through um, one of the sessions, right? I said, I got mad. I got angry inside, and I kind of didn't handle it very well. And I just kind of stood up, and I'm like, don't use God. Like, kind of like that. Because <laughs> I, I just, I'm, I'm like, there was this kind of Christian packaging, this Christian flavor to it. And, and I was just like, okay, I kind of get that, and I know it's kind of good. But deep down, the, this, like, pictures of, of cars and houses and stuff you were going to get, it just kind of made me kind of cringe a bit inside because I felt like, no, 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 no. Do not use God to get the house you want. You understand what I'm saying? It was like, yeah, da, 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 penultimate step. It's not really where I want to land. I'm still heading about my business and what I want. Jesus, you're my penultimate to get me to go where I want. You got to be real careful with that. You got to be real careful that you're not coming here because here's the deal. If you don't understand that, you're going to be disappointed in the church. People will show up to this church, and if if you have these lofty expectations about even the well, let me just put you at ease right now. We're not going to meet them. Because who's the church made up of? Who? Okay. Sinners. How many would say the church is made up of imperfect people? Right. So just turn to the person next to you and say, that's me. Go ahead. Go ahead. Right. right, That's me. Right. But sometimes we even come to church with these expectations and, you know, the pastor is supposed to do this and the music's supposed to be this and the kids ministry is supposed to do this and men's is this and women's is this. And suddenly somebody steps on your toes, steals your donut, whatever they do. I'm never going back. Why not? They knew I wanted that donut. Every week they take the donut that I want. Like we carry these expectations of the church And then, if we're not careful, we actually have these expectations of Jesus. And that's what happened on this Palm Sunday. The the crowd immediately had to, whoa, 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 time out. What? Because as the week went on, right away, their expectations of this great political military leader, Messiah King, were dashed. Just absolutely crushed. Going from here, woohoo, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, to what? Just crushed expectations. And the question for you, the question for me is, what's your expectation? What, what? And how, how, how deeply, how, how tight is your expectations of Jesus tied to your willingness to bless him? 
to praise Him in all circumstances. Why? Because the basis of our praise is in His character. We praise Him because of who He is. We praise Him for what He's done in our life and who we are in Christ. You get that? We praise Him for who He is. We praise Him for who we are in Him. That's why we praise Him. Knowing Based on Revelation, one day we're going to praise him when everything is made right too. That day is just in the future. That day is just in the future, right? So the city says, who is this? Reminds me of Jesus in Luke 9, right? Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. Most important question probably ever asked. With eternal implications. Jesus asked him, who do you say I am? Even today, who do you say Jesus is? Because your answer to that will reveal a lot about your expectations. Who is Jesus? Who do you say he is? Right? Who do you say I am? Same question today. If you don't know, we can, we can look, let's look at what the Bible says. Luke 2. The angel, right? Going back to Christmas story. The angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Matthew one twenty one. she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. If you're if you, if you don't, still not sure about how to answer Jesus' question of, like, who, who do you say I am, you just got to look at his name. Jesus, right? Joshua means Yahweh is salvation. In fact, in Matthew one twenty one, you call his name Jesus for why? He'll save people from their sins, right? Now, Christ is not his last name. Right? It's not his last name. You should, to help, it should, you put a the, and you'll probably really get that tacked down. So it's Jesus the Christ. What is Christ? Anointed one. Messiah. It's a title. So Jesus Christ is a name and a title. So he's Jesus, Joshua, the anointed one. Okay? What does Jesus say about himself? He says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Who do you say I am? Well, it gets more and more clear the more and more you look at Scripture. Jesus himself said who he was and why he came. John 1.29. John the Baptist says this. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I was reading that, and I was thinking about Jesus entering Jerusalem at the time of the Passover, and I'm like, they, they missed it. The crowd was so excited about this guy who raised Lazarus from the dead. They had gotten fixated on Rome, and they got fixated on their felt needs. They got fixated on this oppression and everything they wanted to be delivered from. That they missed what God was showing them in the timing of this. 
Because this was Passover, celebrated every year, right? Again, Passover what? Commemorated the deliverance from Egypt. Look what it says in Exodus 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, that's the month Nisan, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to which, uh, to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. So, here's how it works. On the 10th day of the month of called Nisan, they go and every family finds the Passover lamb that's without blemish. Four days later, they slaughter the lamb. What's amazing, I did some research, looked it up. The year that Jesus died, the 10th day of Nisan, right there when he entered Jerusalem. Four days later, when the Passover lambs were being killed, So was the Passover lamb of God. Just amazing. Just amazing. And there's there's discussion, and we're not going to go in. There's discussion even if Jesus came in on Sunday or Monday and all that. Don't get hung up on that. But it's really close. In that year that Jesus died, the connection between the 10th day of Nisan and the 14th day and how closely linked it was to Jesus' arrival and Jesus' crucifixion. And how that lined up with, hey, let's go find a lamb without a blemish. Let's keep it in our house for four days, inspecting it, make sure there's no blemish. Fourteenth day, we kill the Passover lamb. You see? It was right there. It was right there. I just, I'm just stunned. I'm like, wow. Wow. That's what it was really about. Hebrews 4.14 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. No blemish. First Peter, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish, or spot. First Corinthians. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. He's talking to the Corinthian church. There's sin in the church. The Corinthian church is kind of boastful and proud about all they're doing, but they're not dealing with the sin. And Paul calls them out. He says, hey, by the way, you can't ignore the sin in the church. You got to get it out. You got to get it out. At Passover, all the leaven was removed from the houses of Israel. He said, you got to get it out. You got to walk in newness of life. You can't ignore it. Why? 
Because Christ, our Passover lamb, was sacrificed. Was sacrificed, right? And then John 20 says this. This is the reason for the gospel of John. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You see, as we launch into the Passion Week, the Holy Week, here's an application, here's an encouragement for you and for me. Strip away all your expectations. Be honest about all this disappointment and all these things that you're kind of maybe angry at God at, disappointed in God at. Just wipe it all away. Just, just clean the slate. Psh, right? Just understand it in many ways we're all like that crowd when he first came in. Ah, it's the king. Hey, he's going to deliver us. Hey, oh, what happened? What happened? Because maybe if you're honest, if I'm honest, I may have missed it, and I may have been wrong about what Jesus was supposed to do and who he was. Because what does the Passion Week launch into? Good Friday. And why was Jesus sent to seek and save the lost? Why is he called the Lamb of God? Because it's by his blood our sins are forgiven. You see, all those people were so excited about being delivered from Roman oppression, about having their circumstances changed, about him triumphing and making it all right. And yet when it came down to, well, what about your sin? <laughs> no, I'm really, I'm really more concerned about uh, what really matters to me, and that's your salvation. Oh, well, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I had a, a good friend in San Diego. He wasn't a believer. He came to church a few times. One time he came back to the altar call counseling room after an altar call. And I sat with him. I talked. shared the whole gospel, about as simple as I could make it. And he goes, okay, why did Jesus have to die? Da, 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 da. I'm like, so you have any, I mean, where you at? How are you, how you doing with this, man? And he looked at me. And this, this is going to sound strange, but I, I, don't, don't, don't lose me. He goes, he looked at me in all sincerity. This was a, a, a friendly guy, a nice guy, just the nicest guy ever. He looked at me in all sincerity, and he says, but I don't sin. Now, remember where he's coming from. I think he came from a Roman Catholic upbringing, so his view of sin was the biggies. Right? I don't sin. I don't kill anyone. I don't steal. I don't sin. What are you calling me, right? How many of you have ever tried to share faith and someone gets offended for you pointing out that all have sinned, right? And he looked at me. He goes, but I don't sin. And that, that became a sticking point. And I don't know whatever happened to him with the Lord, but he couldn't understand Jesus coming for him because of his sin. It was a sin issue. It was a salvation issue. And he was struggling with this this yieldedness, this, this absolute humbling of himself to say, yes, I need a Savior. Yes, I need the Lamb of God. Because in his mind, he was a good old guy, and he really was. He was the nicest, most clean-cut guy, one of the nicest, most clean-cut guys I've ever met. 
So this idea of him being a sinner, ah, he struggled with that. But because he struggled with that, he struggled who Jesus was and why Jesus came. And this is what kind of, I just want to challenge us this morning, just have a time of reflection. Who is Jesus? You see, if he came through that door and you looked at him and said, hey, hey, Jesus is here, what would be your expectations? Would you kind of say this? Jesus comes and says, hey, come on, man. I've been praying for two years. What's up? Would some of us like not fall on our face because King of Kings and Lord of Lords and our Savior is here and we're just so just completely humbled that our name is written in the book of life and our sins are saved that we would just hit the ground and go, oh, my God, Savior, blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, you saved my soul. Amazing grace. Would you just fall on your face in absolute surrender and submission and love or would you just say, come on, man. Why aren't you fixing my finances? Why is my kid like that? What have I done wrong? I thought you were the king. I thought there was nothing too difficult for you. Right? So this Palm Sunday, today and into this week, here's my encouragement. Who is he? Who is he? Why did he come? And if you're not sure, go back and read the verses I put up there. You see, as a parent, as a parent, I, I had to work through this. See, my heart for Jesus was to love Jesus for, for, for being my Savior and Lord, not so my kids don't do something dumb. You see, even that expectation, well, I'm a pastor and I'm a Christian parent, i.e., therefore God... Thou shalt keep my kids from going off the deep end. Do you see that expectation that I can carry? Even in my family. That's, that's not wrong to pray that. I'm not saying don't pray for your kids. I'm not saying don't ask God to protect them. That, that, but what I'm saying is, but is that why he came? Fundamentally, fundamentally, I want my kids to know that by faith in Jesus, he can be their Savior and Lord. That's what I want my kids to know. I want my kids to love Jesus. I want my kids to love Jesus. I want you to love Jesus. I really do. But if you're going to love Jesus, you really got to be clear on why he came and why he didn't come. He's going to make it all right in the future. Amen? But right now, through faith in Jesus... We are delivered, can be delivered from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. One day from the presence of sin. Put your faith in Jesus. No more penalty of sin. Delivered. Passed over. Put your faith in Jesus. No more slavery to sin. Freedom. You can say no to sin. Put your faith in Jesus. Read Revelation as many times as you need to to get through the tough times knowing that our boy Jesus is coming back on a white horse. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Oh, man. I'm glad I'm on his team when he comes. You know, I get frustrated. I look at what's out there in the world. I look at the horrific things. And sometimes I wonder, God, where are you? What are you doing? And by faith, I believe in the Word of God. Then Revelation 19, 
the King of kings, the Lord of lords, on the white horse, is going to come. And he's going to make it all right. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you, God. Palm Sunday. The crowds kind of missed it. They didn't fully understand. They thought you were here as a political military king to deliver them from Rome. And what you really cared about was their heart. What you really cared about was their eternal salvation. You really came as the Passover lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so, Father, as we prepare for communion, would you check us? Just speak to our hearts on the front end of this Passion Week. That this week won't just be another ho-hum, traditional Easter week. But that every day, at some point in the day, we will stop. And we will say, bless the Lord, O my soul. Because of who we are in Christ. Because our sins are forgiven. Because we have been delivered from the penalty and the power of sin. And we know one day from the presence of sin. open our eyes and I pray for those this morning that have never put your faith in Jesus this is why he came to seek and save the lost seek and save the lost gospel of John says these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name if you've never believed on Jesus just rest in his finished work fully as much as you're sitting in that chair resting in that chair rest in Jesus Put your faith in Jesus and his finished work as the Passover Lamb of God whose blood was shed for your sin. Receive him today. Put your faith in Jesus alone. That's why he came. That's why he came.